pastor's prayer. This past week we were in uh, we were in uh, Cape Saint Clair. It's kind of our one-off from inside the city, um, and uh, you know that's an interesting little enclave. If you're unfamiliar with the area, Cape Saint Clair has 8,000 people in that peninsula. Uh, <clears throat> there are a number of churches. Um, <clears throat> Obviously, schools, we know of Christian teachers in the public school there. <clears throat> there are several Christian schools out that way. Um, but, uh, you know, one of, one of the guys, the, the uh, Todd, who we um, mentioned and have prayed for, um, Dallanegra, who uh, struggled with some, uh, some cancer in his uh, bone marrow and, and whatnot. Uh, by the way, his treatments are going very well, and... You know, they're not quite there, but his hemoglobin's been very stable. He's had all his treatments. Things look real well for him. But he lives up that way and does a lot of work in that community. And <clears throat> so he's kind of on the know. Like in the last month, um, two fathers have committed suicide. Um, there's, uh, and so that we offered up prayers for those families and the community right around them. Um, you know, very di- different uh, situations for each one of those families, uh, as well as um, some other community crisis going on. You're able to offer up prayers for that and uh, certainly see God uh, at work over there. And it was interesting. There's a particular need of a, of a family that's undergoing some pretty significant crisis. Uh, the husband is uh, in, in care for... Uh, alcohol abuse and and the family is financially stricken and it, it is it was really good to see that two churches uh, came together to try to help meet their financial needs and it, it seems like right now they're doing at least they're at least stable and uh, but it's very very hard this is the second go round and uh, this family has a lot of connections in, in uh, the Christian world over there. But, but the, the point of, of me sharing all of these personal data points is to say that <clears throat> as the pastors are moving around, you know, we're not just hitting communities with, that have needs for, um, you know, because of shootings or it's a very poor and destitute community. We're in communities just like the ones that you live in and people are struggling and having difficulty and uh, we need to be praying and so again it's good to see um, folks praying together we're kind of getting on the edge of where we uh, might need to move indoors this last uh, Wednesday morning um, it was in the 30s which normally (coughs) is pretty tolerable but it was also pretty windy especially out there on on that uh, in that community and so uh, we were huddled up kind of by my uh, expedition outside so that we had at least a little bit of a windbreak. Uh, but it was definitely it was definitely chilly. The last Wednesday of this month, we're going to be praying um, out in front of City Hall. Um, we've, uh, I mentioned several weeks ago how um, the, the mayor of Annapolis has said that things are changing and he can't really account for it. Maybe it's these pastors praying around the community. And of course, I want to say, I try to keep you all updated. I keep asking you guys to pray, and I encourage the other pastors that are part of our group, communicate with your congregations. Keep them praying so that um, we are in a place 
where where it isn't it isn't about the leaders. It's about all of the people in the greater community praying together. And of course, just for um, I know we have a few more people. I guess it's because we've uh, we've been blessed with an extra hour this morning. A few more pe families in here. Um, we we have two other groups established now besides the one in the immediate Annapolis area. We have a West County, uh, which includes uh, Crofton, Odington, Millersville. We have a, uh, a North County um, group going as well. So uh, this is, we're, we're trying, we're, we're working on, it's been a slow uh, a start in South County, and I'm going to make the general argument for that is largely because most of the ministers in South County are bivocational, right? And so there's a real challenge for them um, to find time that coordinates for everyone's work schedule. And, and so where bivocational ministry is certainly appropriate at times, um, you know, we should be praying that the Lord cause these congregations to grow and find support for their pastors because uh, so much more the better to minister to the needs. You know, you want to try to stay away from simply being a church that is responding to crisis and be more relationally driven with folks um, where, where you kind of know what's happening and you're, you're, it's, it's less about putting out fires and more about discipleship and growth and these kinds of things. <clears throat> so I want to ask you to pray. Uh, be praying for us um, uh, as you can. And again, you know, we're inviting the mayor to come out when we pray in front of City Hall. But I imagine after uh, the last Wednesday of November, we'll be um, picking some churches and being on the inside probably through the winter till about March 1. Um, just kind of following the pattern that we've done before. And we'll, we'll move from church to church uh, during that time. Uh, well, let us uh, continue our study in uh, what it means to be in the autumn of life and things to consider. Let us now pray together. Our God and our Father, we give you praise. We thank you, O Lord, for your great mercies. We ask that you would please be with us as we consider your word, consider what it means to grow older, to care for our elders, and Lord, how we should view your word as the lens to understand these providences. We ask for your blessing this morning, for Christ's sake. Amen. Amen. Um, so... I'm going to be using, we're going to be talking about grief this week and next week, not our family grief <laughs> over here, but, but uh, be it grieving as Christians and, and how to think about this. If you've not uh, read Facing Grief by John Flavel, anybody heard of John Flavel? Okay, he's, a, he's a Puritan, um, and it used to be called, um, what are they? I don't have that just right here, but a oh, token for mourners. Uh, this this came out of a series of letters that he wrote um, to a woman who lost a child, and he was he was trying to speak the scriptures to her and help her to grow in her maturity. And um, one of the things that I think that the Puritans had a little bit better grasp than we do is thinking about God's providences. Now, we've already done some lessons on God's providence. We've, we've talked about that. But fundamentally, how do we approach God's providences in our daily lives, in our work, uh, in the things that we come across in our family life? Um, are we viewing things through God's providence? I think this is uh, particularly important. 
And um, I'll tell you from reading this book, um, at times it seems pretty hard. It seems pretty direct. And, and I, want, I want for us to have an open mind to hearing because we, we live in a day and age where we, we think that we have control and it's about us. And, and even in our Christian lives, and, and we're pretty moderate, right? We think we're pretty moderate. You know, we're, we're trusting God. And, and yet, um, we don't look at, at, at the small inconveniences of life or the big ones with this idea that it's God's providence at work. Whatever challenges, whatever difficult conversations, whatever challenges you've had with your family, um, with your brothers and sisters in Christ, all of these things are God's providences. When we look at what's happening, you know, we had uh, Pastor Sansanich here, and we look at what's happening in the Ukraine, and that's God's providence. Um, I, I, you know, when we look at what's happening in Israel and Gaza and, and the escalation that appears to be going on there, and then there's all kinds of things that are in the background. Many of you guys are in the security world, right, national security world, and so you're getting bits and pieces, and you know different kinds of things that are going on that we don't even know, right? And, and you know, remember, God's providence is at work. Um, and I, I want to make one other comment. You know, this, this, when St. Sanders was here and he was talking about um, their history, um, one day we were, we were eating with some other folks. I don't remember which group it was, but I asked him, I said, hey, you know, I'm, I'm a, a student of history, but I really don't know much about uh, what went on behind the Iron Curtain, you know, particularly as it relates to Poland, Ukraine, Belarus, all those Soviet states um, following... Uh, the, the wall going up, right? You know, we know a few things about World War II, and we hear some things in the 60s and 70s, but that time, say, during Stalin's era, you know, we know some of the big bullet points, and he recommended this book called Bloodlands, and uh, I've been listening to it uh, for the last week or so, and uh, it's horrifying. It's horrifying. And in the middle of all this, um, doing some other studying, um, and looking at the history of the church and how certain theologies develop into and create um, particular problems uh, when we minimize Christ. And we talk a lot of it about it in terms of what happened in the United States, say, from 1890 forward. We do a lot of that, or we talk about how revivalism had impact. But there are some clear things relating to um, God's Word and the Lord's table really we'll call them sacraments, baptism, Lord's table, and God's word, how those became detached historically and the, the huge difficulties that, that come out of that. So I'm, I'm reading over here church history in Europe in the, in the preceding centuries and looking at what some of the outcomes were and then reading about this terrible stuff that's going on uh, in Russia and the, behind the Soviet uh, the Soviet walls, and um, it's horrifying. And at the same time, you know, I think, Lord, you know, the judgments of, of things, and I, I think about the more than 65 million babies that have been killed in America with abortion and how this has become a place of blood and bloodshed. And so we need to pray and repent of our sins and, and, 
and look to God's salvation because as a land, as a people, as a nation, uh, we deserve uh, the, the wickedness to come upon us, God's judgment to come upon us. Uh, basically, we're reaping what we, what we sow. So let's pray for that. And I, I say all of this because God's at work in this at the same time, and God's people need to um, lead in, in the charge of, of believing in God's providence and then making sure that we're worshiping rightly, that we're considering God's word, that we're thinking these things through. And all of that swinging back around to, to John Flavel here is um, one of the interesting things about his personal story you know, it's one thing, like if you have a person, let's say they're particularly young, their parents have still, you know, maybe it's a minister and they, their parents are still living and, you know, God's blessed them with a lot of little kids and they really haven't experienced, maybe even their grandparents are still living, right? They haven't really experienced uh, grief up close and personal. And so if they come in and they speak of God's grace and then God's providence and the hardship that creates the grief and all of this, you might say, Dude, you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't have any experience in this. And that might be right. John Flavel, on the other hand, um, he gets married. His first wife dies in childbirth, and they lose that child as well. He gets married a second time, and that wife dies. He gets married a third time, and that wife dies. His fourth wife does outlive him. I'm amazed he even got a fourth wife, really. Um, and, and I say that kind of jokingly. Um, but, but you think about it, when it comes around to number four, you know, one, you might say, you know, that's just how God's providence goes. Two, you might say, oh, um, you know, that's pretty tough. You know, if you're thinking about being the third wife, you know. But when you get to number four, you have to be saying, Lord, is this guy cursed? Right? Is there unrepentant sin that you're bringing judgment on him? I, I mean, I think it's... It might be worthy of that woman to think that out, right? He lost several other children as well. And um, he, he, one of the interesting things that's happened also is that in, in, in that time, just before his wife died, both of his parents perished uh, being locked up for being Puritans in Great Britain and died of the plague. So... So they died of the plague, and it was a prison where they knew the plague was, and when they would put people in there, it was a way of kind of secondarily putting people to death because they knew if we send you to this prison, everybody that goes in that prison gets it. They haven't tried to clean it. Just plague is going on in there, and so you're going to go in there. It's, it's a way to like, oh, we'll put you to death, but I'm going to wash my hands of it, right, because I didn't actually execute you. And so he, under, he underwent persecution for his faith and suffered grief there. He lost his position, just like many of the Puritans did in Great Britain. And then, and then following that, he loses his parents, and then wife and child and wife and child and wife, right? I think the guy understands a little bit about thinking about grief. I think he has to have a particular way to maintain your faith under such hardship, right? And so I just say all this because, again, as we go through this, because he's going to talk about, about both, uh, you know, God's mercy to, towards us and how he acts and how he behaves, right? But he's also going to talk uh, and, and, and 
give directions about grieving in a sinful manner. And he's going to talk about how to grieve in a godly manner. And, and sometimes, you know, today we, we live in a world where everybody wants everything to be simply, if you've had some kind of hardship, if you've had difficulty, if you've undergone something, um, that we act as if that person can have no sin. We have to handle them with soft gloves. Now, hear me carefully here. We want to be merciful. We want to be kind, right? But we are not loving someone if we allow them to remain in sin. Now, we can come to sin and say, brother, sister, this is sin. Don't, don't stay in this state. Or we can come in and beat them with a hammer, right? We don't want to beat them with a hammer. We want to love them, care for them, and, and take an understanding of that. Um, so one of the things that he does in the beginning of this book is he talks about, uh, in Luke chapter 7, Jesus raising the son of the widow of Nain. So we're going to read that passage, and this kind of becomes the lens from which he, he begins to work through the idea of grief. It says this, beginning in verse 11, Now it happened... The day after that he, that's Jesus, went to the city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and a large crowd. And when he came near the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said to her, Do not weep. Then he came and touched the open coffin And those who carried him stood still. And he said, Young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up and began to speak. And he was presented to his mother. Then fear came upon all, and they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him went all throughout Judea and all the surrounding region. So, The first thing is to understand, uh, taking a look at this, God's providence, right? So uh, it it reads kind of loosely, right? Now it happened that the day after, referring to what Jesus did the day before, you know, it just sounds like it's happenstance, right? First of all, Christ had a purpose in what he did. And God, the Father, had a plan of how he was operating in his providence in, in the world. So when he shows up to the city of Nain, it is not by accident, Right? This widow, her only son, dies. And what do we have here? We have, did he die in God's providential plan? Yes. So that, to what end? That God would be glorified. Now we can look at this, pay, this situation and say, oh, well, this is easy, right? In the retrospect, because, you know, Jesus showed up and whoosh, Raised him from the dead. Now it's interesting. You think about this just for a moment. Right? Jesus travels all over Israel. And how many people are recorded that he raised from the dead? A handful. Right? A handful. And I know there were probably maybe some more in there, but he didn't raise every person that died. He didn't, he didn't heal every sick person that he went by. Not, and, and we know he healed lots of people. 
but he didn't heal everyone. He didn't deal with everything. <clears throat> and so <clears throat> this woman, though, she comes in, and they see that there's this large crowd of people wailing. I think I mentioned this not too long ago, um, maybe last week or the week before, that, that in Israel it wasn't uncommon to have professional uh, mourners you'd hire to go with you. But you think about it, um, you know, when someone dies, you know, you, know, you kind of think, Who, who's going to miss me? Who turns out for this? Um, you know, and, and then of course the church should be responsive. When I first, uh, when I was young, even after I pastored for a while, I didn't understand the importance of, of uh, the Christian life and being at, at the weddings in our community and being at the funerals. You know, as a minister, you know you're there, but, but how does this apply? When I wasn't a minister anymore and I was just a parishioner and I'm learning, learning more, I'm watching what happens. You know, when we took my grandmother in, um, she lived with us for about six months, and uh, then she passed away, and she'd only been with my dad another three months before that, before we had moved them all in with us. And she'd been to our church a couple of times, but she was pretty immobile, and, uh, you know, it was, it was difficult for her. And so when, when she passed away, I just got the, the little chapel at the funeral home thinking, nobody knows her. Who's going to show up to this? And I'm going to tell you, it, it, was, it blew my mind away because the chapel was packed. There were more than 100 people from my congregation that I was attending that showed up to support of course they didn't know my grandmother a couple of them did but not very many but they showed up because this was a family in their church that was mourning they cared and so I want to encourage you and I know that we all have difficulties and challenges right sometimes we have jobs but I want to encourage you if there's a a, a death in our congregation or adjacent like, like a family it's a family member um, come out support love and care for your people, um, and it, it is a rich blessing. Um, and I would encourage you, families, if you have children, bring your children. Don't make death something that is abnormal and far away. If people, if people are going to die, it's appointed once for us all, right? We're going to die. And so we want to use this as, as lessons in, in uh, discipleship. <coughs> and how to love our neighbor, and how to think about death. And every time there's a funeral, a good preacher officiating is going to present God's providence, his gospel, and how this has an impact. It is part of catechizing our family. So I want to encourage you as best you can, you know, if you can work it out, come and do those things. And, and of course, I'll encourage you in the same way in terms of marriages you know, in weddings. If there's weddings in the community, do what you can to be there as well. But we see this, there's a large crowd, and Jesus comes near the gate, and behold, the dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother. And just that all by itself is terrible grief, right? Um, there, there's, I'm certain among us, some that some uh, families in here that have endured miscarriages. And the farther along you are when a miscarriage happens, the more challenging that it is. And I must say, 
You know, for us, I was so grateful in God's providence. I was still, I was in my, I was at the time where I was kind of, um, you know, preparing to, to leave uh, my, my theological background, and we had become convinced of the providence of God by His mercy and, and studying His Word and, and the input from others, and that's when we lost um, a, a child in this way, and that's a, that's a, a terrible grief. And, but c- approaching and understanding God's providence and plan in that helped us immensely. We had sorrows, we had grief, but God's hand was at play. And when you begin to trust God's hand, it's better. And, and as I was still a pastor in, in a congregation that, that didn't have this view, I watched many families deal with these very same things. And um, it, it totally undermines your security when you have no belief in God's providence and his plan and his omniscience over all things. And so um, we, we need to lean in to God when these things happen. And then um, I, I know of at least one in the room who's lost um, a child in their adulthood and how difficult and challenging that it is. So to lose a child is always hard and difficult. And, and yet it wasn't just that she lost her son but she was a widow also. And, you know, here, here's what we have to recognize, that, that when, you, when you understand the, the Greek here a little bit, it points to the fact that this was a, a young man of age, so he was over 20. So at this point, he, he would be fully able to work and provide for his widowed mother. He was a man of age. Okay, you know, that term young man that you see there, right? It's, it's this... It's the man having arrived, so somewhere at, right after 20 or so. So we, we see that he's associated with the man, so he's got the ability to now take care of her. So all of her, her needs that, that she was having because she was a widow were now lost again because of the death of her son. And we don't know what he died of. Did he die of a simple disease? Did he have a heart attack? Uh, we have no idea. Was he involved in an accident? Uh, we don't know. But we know that in God's providence that he died. And so, you know, this mother was full of grief, full of grief. And, of course, we see this great, great and mighty thing. It says this, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said, do not weep. Now, he had compassion on her. I want to talk about that for just a moment. Our God is compassionate. He is not a God who is capricious. He's not a God who is distant. He's not a God who doesn't know who we are. He knows every hair on our head. And for some of us, less than we used to. But it is true that he knows everything about us. He knows what's going on. And he is orchestrating his will in our lives. And so when the hardships come, When the difficulties come, our Lord has compassion towards us. He has compassion towards us. And it isn't just because um, he knows that he's going to raise this this young man up. He genuinely understands her hardship. 
he, he, is, he is looking here and he sees the pain. Have you ever been with somebody who's mourning and they're crying and you weren't crying, but they're crying and now you're crying? Doesn't that happen? Right? You're moved with emotion. Here we have Christ himself moved by the difficulty, moved by the hardship. That is God's providence. And what does he say? Do not weep. And of course, we, we can look at this in, in a couple of ways. Again, Jesus knows he's going to raise him from the dead. But you know what's going to happen? That young man's going to die again. And of course, one of the things John Flavel says in here is he says, hey, look, so think about this for a second. His, his, his perspective as he talks about death is, it is being stricken. Where, where, does, where do we see death here? Death comes out of sin, right? It, it is, so it is a providence, a good thing. Uh, Ken and I often talk about when someone, a Christian, dies, that it's the happiest day of their life. They're with their Lord. And, of course, there's going to be even more joy on the last day where the resurrection occurs and they're given their, their glorified body and they're in full fellowship. But we, we, we need to step back for a second and understand that death is a cause of sin. And death is part of a judgment. And so when death occurs, part of it is simply a judgment of sin. We're being stricken by God. Yes? I think a good example of that is from the lectionary reading last, uh, last week. Moses was a holier man than any of us here in this room and yet he died by the hand of God for his sin before he entered the promised land. That's right. Yeah. And think about this. Was not Christ stricken for sin? For our <laughs> sin. There's going to be a whole lot of what, what uh, this wise preacher gives us that helps us to look back and say, now wait a second. We presume on God all the time. Right? But God has has saved us from a debt we couldn't pay, right? And so if he comes along and he strikes a person, okay, and he strikes that person, then, then um, there's, there's a response here. We can have sad for the loss, but remember God loves us and he has compassion on us and he's caring for us. And he wants us to look to him in this time. And in some cases, this is important. And, and I'll say, you know, I've mentioned this several times as we talk about our aging parents, right? Sometimes parents, aging parents, they don't like to get help from their kids. Um, have you ever been a, an adult child whose parent didn't want help, right? And you knew that it wasn't safe for them anymore, right? Um, and, and one of the things we have to remember is don't rob. You know, if God strikes you in some way, you don't have the ability you used to have or, or any of these other things, don't rob others from being able to serve you. It's their calling. So when, when difficulty happens, if God strikes you with death or strikes someone in your family with death, there's a response for you. There's a response to the people around you. Don't say, oh, we got it. We're okay. We don't need anything. No, let people serve you. Let them care. Let them reach out. I can tell you that this, by cutting yourself off, you're harming yourself and you're harming others. And you're not submitting yourself to the providences, and we could even say hindrances, that God has placed in our lives.
But, but in all these things, he's, he's making this point about um, how I can speak to you as Christian. And then he talks about, he even has a, one whole little chapter on speaking to those that aren't Christians. And he says to us as believers that even though someone um, who, who dies and, and you know, their, their family's not a Christian, we, we have an obligation because of how God has graciously dealt with us to go and love them and care for them, even though they're not in the body. And, of course, he has several points he makes in that chapter, um, one of which the last one is, hey, you know, hear what God is saying. God could have called you. He could have, he could have called you from this life, and you died in full judgment. And so he, he makes that, that point as well. But we have an obligation to love those around us. It's sort of like I mentioned how the pastors were praying for these families <clears throat> where suicides had happened, right? That is a terrible, terrible time for those families. And, and neither one of those men seemed to be Christian in any sense. <clears throat> and the gospel needs to go out. The Christians in that community need to jump up and surround them and pray with them. And it'll be a hard <coughs> providence. But is God going to use those things to his glory? Yes. And I pray that those Christians in the community that know those families are doing just that. And, I, and I'm pretty certain because, um, you know, we had a couple of pastors from that area that were there, and they were talking a little bit about some of the things that they were doing in regards to that. But, and so one of the things, let me pause right there and say this to you. If you become aware of one of your neighbors undergoing grief, right, um, whether they're in the church or not, see what you can do. And, if, and, and I want to encourage you, if you need people from the rest of this congregation to help you, call us. Call us, right? We, we are a church that is kind of scattered about, <clears throat> right? But, but if you have, if there's a three, four families in your, in your area, let those be the first responders if you can be. But let us do the job of comfort so that we may pull and direct people to Christ. And, 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 but but we, we want to be understanding and looking at all of these things in a way where God comes into our life and we are trusting in his providences. So our, our weeping has... Uh, a purpose, and there's a good way and a sinful way with which to weep. Um, questions or comments here? So next week we're going to tackle sinful ways to mourn and godly ways to mourn. And if it takes us a while to kind of work through that, because I almost feel like, and not that I want to be qualifying it, but, but I, you know, um, I, I sat here and I thought about this considerably. And again, um, five years ago, I, I watched my longtime friend and childhood best friend pass away after a seven-year battle with cancer. And I'd done ministry with him for a number of years. Um, the, following, the following year, my, my best friend and ministry partner in, in Louisiana passed away. Um, and then my brother passed away and then my father passed away it was kind of a real tight season uh, for us in that way 
And as I read this, I was like, whew, boy, you are getting me in how to approach this and how to think about this. And so um, even though I'm now um, some distance uh, from this, um, you know, I, I still look at it and think, wow, how, how the Lord, um, I, need, I need to think about where I'm at and how I address these things. And I want us all to be encouraged. So it may take us a week to go through and look at it on sin and then another week on how to do it well. I kind of hate it that way because you kind of get in this spot where you go, I don't want to leave us hanging in a, in, a, um, in, a, in a bad way. So maybe we'll just have a verse or two to encourage us, but I, also, but I want us to have enough time to really go through. He's got several points on, on each of those. So let us, uh, let us now pray. Our God and our Father, we thank you for your great mercies. We thank you that you are the God who knows us, loves us, guides us. And Lord, help us to submit to bring glory to your name, not to rebel against your path that you've brought in our lives. Father God, bring comfort to those who are grieving. And Lord, help us all to look to you. Please prepare our hearts for worship and the renewal of your covenant promises with us. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Amen.